remain standing with me tonight with out any further ado I want to step aside tonight and bring our speaker to this pulpit tonight brother green has I've already mentioned has been on the field for 16 years no novice he has been preaching here in the state of Indiana with great results and we are honored tonight to have him, I have to just share a little piece of the story with you. I scheduled with Brother Green several months ago, and I scheduled him through Brother Terry Long, who had contacted me, and I had put him in my schedule to be with us tonight. About six weeks ago, Brother Long contacted me, and he said, I am double-checking to make sure that you have evangelist Timothy Brown uh, with you and I said I have never met a brother Timothy Brown and he said you have him scheduled to preach for you and I began to explain to brother Long that I had never met Timothy Brown and he continued to tell me that I in fact was going to put this good brother in a great bind if I didn't have Brother Timothy Brown because he had come here banking on preaching for us on this Sunday night and I said I have not met Brother Brown and we knocked heads for a few moments and I finally said fine I will have Brother Brown have him contact me and we will have him and I came home and opened my calendar and I said I already have someone scheduled on that night I cannot have him I picked up the phone and as I'm dialing the phone it dawned on me he had confused brother Timothy Brown with the guy that I had scheduled brother Timothy Green <laughs> yesterday brother Long told me I'm colored blind that's my problem and so we're honored tonight to have Brother Timothy Green with us in this house. I want you to put your hands together and welcome him as he comes to minister the word of the Lord to us. We appreciate your ministry. God bless you. Preach your heart to us. Well, praise the Lord, everybody. It's good to be in the house of God. Whatever color you are, it's good to be in the house of God. Brown or green, it's good to be in the house of God. Amen. I'm a privilege to be here. I give an honor to my pastor. Daryl Johns, Bishop in my life, Stan Gleason. These men pull my coattails, and I thank God for that. And so glad that they are in my life and honoring my wife, the wonderful, beautiful Lois. Luscious to me, Lois to you, but I hope you get to meet her sometime in the near future. And also high honor, of course, to your pastor, uh, Brother Jordan and First Lady at Just met her before service as she stepped in the door and said, hi, I'm the better half. And I was convinced that is the truth. So uh, I'm reading from Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. And I have come with a, an anointing of the prophetic upon me. And I am hungry for gifts of the Spirit to move in the place today. Expecting signs and miracles and wonders in the house. And, I'm expecting it. I'm expecting it. I'll be extremely disappointed if we don't see the tremendous supernatural move of the Holy Ghost. It is my expectation. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. 
When we look for a vocabulary or a meaning for faith, we will often go here to Hebrews 11, in particular verse 1, and see that it's a substance of what you're hoping for, and it's the evidence of things you can't quite see yet. But I'm pulling just from the first two words of this verse, and I'm preaching about a now faith. Now, I want you to know in context... This is not speaking of timing. Not here in Hebrews 11, it's not. It's speaking of now faith, like, listen up. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. Or, or hey, <laughs> faith is the substance. Behold, faith is the substance. It's, it's to get your attention and then tell you faith is the substance. But I'm going to steal these two words from Hebrews 11 and 1 and preach about a now faith. And as I marry this concept to different stories that you're familiar with, I think you'll understand that God wants us to operate tonight in a right now faith. Now faith. So would you stretch your heart and your faith up toward heaven and tell God right now, God, right now, God, miracle signs and wonders in the place. In the name of Jesus Christ, I lose faith in Jesus' name. Turn, give somebody a high five and tell them it's time for now faith. Come on, one more person, give them a good high five and tell them now faith. God bless you, you may be seated. I recognize very quickly that this is a revival church. I recognize very quickly that you love the prophetic that you love prophetic preaching, that you love prophetic utterance, that you love the prophecies of the Word of God. But for the prophetic to come to pass in our lives, there must be a proper and particular response to that prophetic word. Some have thought that prophecy is the unchangeable will of God, not, not so fast. Do you remember the prophet Jonah who received the word from God? Go to Nineveh and declare yet 40 days and Nineveh will be destroyed. And so Jonah finds himself eventually in Nineveh's streets preaching this message prophetically. 40 days and Nineveh will be destroyed. But 40 days came, 40 days went, Nineveh was not destroyed. Because when the prophetic word came forth, they responded properly to the prophecy. And they got on their knees in sackcloth and ashes and began to repent and ask God for mercy and grace. And the prophetic word was stayed or changed because of their response to the prophetic. It's the same thing with Isaiah. When he walks into King Hezekiah's chambers and looks at this king who has been terminally sick and says, get your house in order. You're going to die. You shall not live. And turns and walks away having spoken the prophetic word from God. But Hezekiah turns his face to the wall in a proper and particular response to the prophetic and begins to pray, remember me, oh my God. And when it gets to that principle we see in Psalms, and he said, God, the dead do not praise you, but if you let me live, it will be a life that gives praises unto you. God stopped the prophet and said, go prophesy again. And Isaiah comes back into the chamber of the king and says, Hear the word of the Lord. You shall live. you got 15 more years. Well, was the first word a true prophecy from God? Yes. 
but you can change prophecy by your action. Now, the, these two instances are, are pretty much the staying of judgment or, or the, uh, the, the keeping of punishment as it's prophesied to an individual. But when God prophesies blessing, when He prophesies revival, when He speaks to us of anointing and purpose, there also must be a proper and particular response. Jesus speaks about the parable that helps us to understand this clearly. It's called the parable of the sower and the seed. And for our understanding, we're going to be more specific with the seed and say that it's more than just the word of God that is sowed, but it is the prophetic word. And Jesus begins to say that there are some soil. Some of men, mankind's heart that does not receive the seed or does not receive the prophetic word. There is a ground or the soil of a man's heart that has become hardened. And there is no understanding. And because you have not plowed up the fallow grounds of your heart, the prophecy comes to you like a seed sowed upon the ground. But you cannot receive it. Your heart is too hardened for that prophecy to find a place within it. Another type of soil is the stony ground. It's those that receive for seemingly a short time the prophetic word, but then affliction or persecution or bitterness and hurt begins to happen in your life, and it quickly chokes out that prophecy. I feel light bulbs coming on already. I thank God for a spirit of revelation. There are some of us that have received prophecies, but it's important how we take care of that prophecy. We've got to keep our hearts and our spirits right. We've got to move out persecution. We've got to forgive those that have hurt us. We've got to make sure we're taking care of a prophecy. Third type of ground is the thorny ground. That soil brings forth a small growth in that prophetic word. But then the cares of life begin to choke it out. And because of all the things that we've got to do in the press of time and the natural things that press upon us, we allow other things to have the nutrients, other things to have the focus, other things to have the energy. And they begin to choke out the growth of the prophetic but then Jesus said there is also good soil, good soil. But even good soil, some produces a hundredfold and others produce sixtyfold and some thirtyfold. And as you read in context of the parable, it's obvious that the same thing that hindered people from receiving that prophetic word is also the determining factor of how much of that prophetic word they receive. The prophetic word goes forth and it has the power to produce everything that is spoken. But then you allow, even with your good soil, some cares of the world or some persecution or affliction and it only produces a portion I was early in my evangelistic ministry when we first started evangelizing back in 1920. And uh, sometimes it seems that way. And God began to speak to me about, about a prophetic revival that I would be involved in. And that I would see in a series of services some hundred brand new people receive the Holy Ghost. I was new as an evangelist. My family was with me. And everywhere I went, I told churches, God has given me this promise. 
There was a particular church where I preached and the pastor had a friend that I was not, uh, did not know him. Just a mutual friend that we had with this pastor. And he said, you know, that pastor told me he's got a similar prophecy that you have. And so he made an point to introduce us. I guess he's figuring since we're serving the same God, maybe it's the same prophecy. That kind of makes sense. And when I shook his hand and met this pastor who had this prophecy, there was a leaping in my spirit, a confirmation in my heart. We had a couple of men confirm that this was indeed the will of God. So we cleared our schedule. We began these series of services. And God was there powerfully to perform what he had spoken to us. The first week in a church that had been running 98 for several years, not temperature, members, I don't know why I was thinking about that. (laughs) They had been running some 98. It had been months since anybody had received the gift of the Holy Ghost. In that first week, there were five and six that received the gift of the Holy Ghost. And we had confirmation God is putting His blessing upon us. We're at the beginning of a hundred soul revival. The second week, there were three or four received the Holy Ghost. Now we're up to about 11 or 12 in the third week. By the fourth week, we're up to 15, 16. By the next week, we're pushing 20, 21. By the next week, we're up to 25, 26. And we're well on our way to a hundred soul revival. But there had been scheduled on the calendar for some time. Timothy Brown was supposed to. No, just kidding. There was scheduled on the calendar just a restructuring of some finance stuff that needed to happen for the sake of being properly principled with the Word of God. Long story short, there were some key leaders that received financial blessing at that service. And all of a sudden, they began to think this way. You know, God had promised that we're going to be able to sell our old house and move into a new house. And now we're financially blessed. Nothing wrong with God blessing you. I thank God for the blessings in your provision, in your finances. But they are in the middle of a hundred soul revival. And now they began to realize if we're going to sell our house, we've got to paint the spare bedroom. We've got to clean out the garage. We have to do some... Instead of spending time knocking on doors, instead of teaching the home Bible studies that they were involved in before, they let the cares of life crop up in them. And I watched another two weeks when it dried up of revival. 33 souls received the Holy Ghost, and that was it. Thank God for 33 brand new people receiving the Holy Ghost. But what about the 67 that God had promised us? Cares of life will choke out your prophecies. They will steal your promises. They will limit how much of your prophecy you receive if you allowed it to take your focus, your energy. I was uh, remembering Elisha. The scripture says he's on his deathbed and King Joash has come to weep over his face. And believe me, this is true grief because time after time, the prophet has spoken a prophetic word that has saved the king, saved the nation. And so grieving in his heart, Joash has come to this dying prophet. And as he is dying, there is a stirring that begins to happen in that old prophet And he speaks a word that will prepare 
a prophetic utterance. He tells the king to go over to the window and open it and face eastward. This is a picture of prayer facing eastward toward the city of Jerusalem. And there prayer would be made for those who were raised in that culture and time. He said the preparation for the utterance of the prophetic is to find a place where we can pray. And so now when the window is open eastward, there is a preparation spoken. Take bow and arrow in hand. And when bow and arrow is in hand, the prophet, in a picture of impartation, stirs himself from his deathbed, puts his hands upon the hands of the prophet, and they string the arrow in the bow, and they let the arrow fly out the window, and the prophet prophesies, Behold, the arrow of God's deliverance. He will give you victory over the enemy of Syria, and you will utterly destroy them and drive them all the way back to Aphek. That is his Prophetic utterance. But every time, every time, every time God speaks to us a prophecy, He will also speak to us a word to see how much we have faith in the prophetic. A word to obey, a word to follow, a commitment to give ourselves to. And for this king, it's simply take the prophetic in your hand. The arrow is his prophecy. That's his deliverance, the arrow. Take your arrow in hand and... Strike it upon the ground. And so the king takes his prophecy. He's responding to his prophetic utterance. And he has it in his hands. And he does what he's supposed to do. Strike the ground. But the prophet doesn't tell him how many times to hit the ground. prophet didn't tell him anything except hit the ground. Show obedience concerning this prophecy. And the king maybe because... He didn't understand what was happening and felt silly in his logic. It didn't make sense. But when he hits the ground the second time, he, he seems much more casual. And then a very casual response as he hits the ground the third time and stops. And when his response to the prophetic is casual... The prophet is upset. You should have hit the ground five, six, seven times. And then you would have received 100% of what is prophesied to you. But because you were casual with your prophetic utterance, you're going to receive 50%. You will defeat Syria three times, but then they will come the fourth and the fifth and the sixth. The prophecy was there for his taking, but his response of faith to the prophetic was casual. And he received simply and according to his faith. I was preaching for Brother Francis Mason in Vancouver. And as I was preaching, I never forget the response of this gentleman. He was sitting maybe halfway back on my right side in the middle of the pew. Sometimes people sit in the middle so they have an excuse not to get out and worship and stuff. Nobody here, of course, but sometimes people do. And there he was, all dignified and every hair in place. And he didn't have a wrinkle in his clothes. I mean, he was top-notch GQ and just a middle-aged man standing there. And the Holy Ghost begins to speak to me. I'm in the middle of my preaching. I stop and say, sir, I've got a word for you. He stands to his feet, speak, man of God, and loose me with his liberty and his faith. And I said, I can see you right now kneeling before your recliner. And you're praying for God to bless you and your finances. 
out for foolishness, but you want to send missionaries overseas and you want to build the building that this church needs. And you're saying, God, if you will just bless me in my finance, I will give to the kingdom of God. Tears began to run down his face. I said, I hear the sound of a blessing coming your way. God is going to answer that prayer. When I spoke that, he couldn't get out, but he put his hands on the pew in front of him and leapt over the pew and ran out into the middle aisle. The church is shocked. This is that man with everything in place, you know. And here he is in the middle aisle, reaching down like he's scooping blessings and jumping and throwing it in the air. And he's saying, yes, yes, even so be it unto me. People are looking around like, who is this guy? And what have you done with our brother? So out of character. But faith is contagious. And when he began to believe what God was speaking to him through his servant, others began to believe that perhaps it was their time for the miraculous. And healings began to happen. Great service that night. I got a call some two months later from pastor. He said, do you remember that guy? I said, I'll never forget his actions. He said, yesterday he received a... Check for $250,000 and he is preparing to bless the church even as he is putting it into the bank and moving things around. I believe that he received 100% of what was spoken to him because of his initial response of faith and his over-the-top receiving of that prophetic word. Elijah powerful prophet of Old Testament lore. Elijah has seen the degradation of God's people, their immorality, their idolatry. And so he has spoken a word of judgment so that they would repent of their mistakes and sins. And he has declared that the skies will not give forth rain and there will be no dew upon the ground until he speaks the word again. And it dried up. And for an entire year, there was absolutely no rain, no dew. Can you imagine what it would look around here if there was no rain, absolutely no dew for a year? Perhaps your trees would not be green at all. Your grass definitely would be brown. Your creeks would dry up. Your rivers would become more narrow. Your lakes and reservoirs would become depleted. But it's not just one year now. It's been two years. So double what that would be. And realize that now they are moving into a time of famine because they're not producing crops. And any cattle or any livestock they have, they can't afford to give water to because water is so precious. It can only be for human consumption. But it's not two years, it's three years. Water has become scarce. And now it's even beyond three to three and a half years. But the prophet has his ear in tune to the spiritual realm. And he hears mercy and grace of God. And something that sounds like an abundance of rain. I thank God for people who listen to the spiritual realm. And before it ever happens, they hear what's going to happen in the Holy Ghost. But Elijah understands that principle of 2 Chronicles 7.14. That if my people which are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and 
turn from their wicked ways. Then I would hear from heaven, heal their land. Their land needs to be healed. And God is what they need to call out and for him to hear them. But there has to be a turning of their wicked ways. This is what the contest on Mount Carmel is all about. It has been three and a half years of dry famine. And now God is going to prove to His people that He is a supernatural God. Let me tell you what I have experienced over 19 years of full-time evangelism. Is that God will just show up to show you that He is a powerful God. That He's a supernatural God. He will confirm His power over and over if you will have faith. And so... Long story short, Mount Carmel's contest where 450 false prophets of Baal began to crawl down fire from heaven through their God, Baal. And the answer of fire from heaven would prove to all the land who is the one true God. But as they're crying out to Baal, Baal doesn't hear them because Baal is a God without ears. They become so desperate they begin to cut themselves in great sacrifice. But Baal cannot see their sacrifice. Baal has no eyes. Baal has no heart to be moved with the feeling of their infirmities. Baal is just an idol that they have made with their imaginations and their hands. We sometimes give these Old Testament nations a hard time about what seems like the foolishness of what they are worshiping. But we have idols in 2016. America has huge idols. Do I have just a little leeway to meddle here? If you have difficulty coming to church on Sunday night and worshiping because the Colts lost on Sunday afternoon, then maybe that has a little bit too much priority for your joy and your peace. I. I love to follow sports and entertainment as much as the rest of the individuals in the place. But that's not where I derive my joy from. Man will always fail me, but God will never fail me. I don't get my joy from whether I win or lose or what my team does. I get my joy in knowing that I am his child. We have a nation and a people that are trying to derive things that only God can give from other things in this world. That is idolatry. There's a God we call government. Because we expect if we just vote the right person in or out and get this right situation in or out, all of a sudden we're going to be provided for. All of a sudden, our finances are going to be this way and that way. Can I tell you that we serve Jehovah Jireh? He is our provider. Please understand, I'm just talking about where you put priorities of these things in life. Makes them a God in your life. And so here they're calling out to Baal, and Baal does not answer. And finally, Elijah has enough. And he opens that window by preparing an altar of prayer. Now the miraculous is going to happen, but you prepare it with an altar of prayer. And now that the altar is preparing the sacrifices upon it, he calls for four Barrels of water. Now, I've never been a Boy Scout, and there's been times in my life I was kind of proud of that, if you know what I mean. But 
But I do understand this about building fires. You need dry wood. Because it's impossible to start fires with wet wood. But Elijah is giving God opportunity. Not to prove that he can answer and burn a sacrifice. But that he is a supernatural God. He doesn't need dry wood to consume a sacrifice. Oh, let me preach a little bit. He doesn't need the economy to be beautiful, to bless you in your finance. He doesn't need the diagnosis to be good, to heal your body. He's a supernatural God. Can I tell you that he'll prove himself to you supernatural just so you'll know he is God. So... Four barrels of water. Can you imagine where they had to sneak that water from? Water has become so precious. I don't know who's guarding the reservoir or whatever little water is left after three and a half years of complete drought. But when Elijah turns to them and says, four barrels are not enough, go get four more. There are always servants involved in the miraculous. Always servants involved in the miraculous. And if you don't have the spirit of the servant, you're going to say, well, how come I have to get the water and not my brother? Or you're going to reason and say, this doesn't make good sense. This word from the prophet that says, pull water where we want fire. And you're going to reason and you're going to push yourself right out of a miracle. But there's always servants involved because they just hear the word and they obey with gladness. So now eight barrels of water are poured upon the sacrifice. But that's not enough. They are showing their faith. By pouring out what they don't have much of. Because the prophet has said he hears the sound of a rain coming that's more than you'll ever need. An abundance of rain. If they do not believe the prophetic word, there's no way they're going to pour out what is so scarce and so little among them. Why is it that when God challenges us, that he wants to bless us in our finance, that we look in our wallets or our checking account and say, whoa, scarce, famine, drought. And we hear the word that God has said, give this mount or give this sacrifice. And we say, yeah, but look at the reservoir. Look at the economy. And if you allow yourself to look at what you have left instead of the prophecy that God is speaking, you'll talk yourself right out of a prophetic miracle. Eight barrels are not enough. Get 12 barrels. You know the story until now. When they pour the water onto the ground that has not seen rain in three and a half years, it's so saturated, it's holding water in the trench. And Elijah begins to pray the simple prayer. God, roll up your sleeve and show these people your power, your strength, and your might. And boom, fire falls from heaven, consumes the sacrifice, burns up the altar, leaves the ground just a smoking mess because God is a supernatural God and he will prove to you. I'm trying to tell somebody today he's supernatural in your situation and he wants to prove to you that he is supernatural in the place today. One of my favorite stories is in John chapter 2. It's that crazy story of Jesus going to the wedding ceremony. Seems 
so out of place and so crazy for this to be the foundation of his miraculous ministry, the first miracle that happens in his ministry. But as you study, there is tremendous revelation and rich insights to the kingdom of God. But Jesus is here at this wedding reception and he's there with the disciples and his mama is there also. Mary is there. And as they are celebrating this couple's union, they run out of the customary drink of the time. And Jesus hears this word from his mama. They have no wine. Now what you've got to understand is that she's not talking to him like the Messiah. This is mama talking to son, okay? I can remember some times like this in my life when I, as a teenager, might have been lounging on the couch and, and mom might have come in and said, uh, Tim, the trash needs to be taken out. And so I said, wow, that, that's, that is awesome information, mom. I love the way you articulated that to me. And I, I tell you what I'm going to do, get a committee of my siblings together and we're going, no. you kidding me. I'd have felt the flames of Hades upon me. Because she was saying without saying, get up and take the trash out. In fact, because it was my mom, she was saying without saying, I shouldn't even have to tell you the trash needs to be taken out. You should walk by and do your duty before I even. Maybe just my mom, I don't know. I was feeling a little anointing there for a minute. This is mama talking to son. It's like this. It's like this. They have no wine. Without saying, what you going to do about it? This is your responsibility. And Jesus responds back to her with it. Uh, I'm going to ruin this for us guys. But with a statement that sometimes we have used on our wives. Out of context. He says this. Woman, what have I to do with thee? Whoo. But that's. Missing some things in translation. Because the word woman is a Greek word here that is never or very rarely used except it's speaking about a spouse. About those who have become one flesh. About there being someone that you're connected with and love more than anybody else on this world. So when he looks back at her, he says, Mama, nobody loves me like you do. We're close. You know me like nobody else does. You took the brunt of me coming to this world. You took all them ridicules and all the sarcasm. You know me better than anybody. We are close. But then he says to her, what have I to do with thee? Which means you can't pull strings on this one, mama. No matter how close we are, no matter how much you love me, you can't, you can't pull that card. And then he tells her why. Because my time is not yet come. What he's saying is this. Is that yes, you know who I am. One day I will step to the edge of that boat. And that Eurachlodonna storm that is threatening to take the disciples to the bottom of Davy Jones' locker. And when that howling wind and raging waves begin to consume the boat, I will declare, peace, be still. And that raging wind will become a gentle breeze and the lake will become placid. I'll do that, but not today. That's tomorrow. That's in the future. 
Yeah, mama, I will stop that that procession to the graveyard when that widow has placed her only dead son in that coffin and they're taking him to put him in the cold ground. And when I stop that procession and raise up that son, I will raise up that mother's life as well. I'll do that. That's who I am, but not today. That's in the future. But Mary's reaching back to a prophecy from Old Testament times. She goes back to the angel Gabriel that spoke to her when the Holy Ghost overshadowed her. And she reaches back to the prophecies that declare that when the Messiah had come, there would be government of peace upon his shoulder. That in the border of his garments, there would be healing. That he would operate in healings and miracle signs. And she reaches back to the prophecy. And her response is over the top as she tells the servants, always servants in a miracle. She turns to the servants and says, I don't care what he tells you to do. Get on it. Whatsoever he saith, doeth it. And when that kind of faith is responded to, even though Jesus said it's not the right time, something is causing him to reach into the future where his miracles are going to happen and pull it into the present where there is a over-the-top now faith. He turns to the servants and gives them a word to obey. How they obey will determine how much of their miracle they receive. And he says, feel the water pots. There's six water pots there after the manner of purification. And they went to feel them. The scripture says that they contained these water pots, did two or three firkins apiece. Can you believe that? Two or three firkins. Yeah, I didn't know either. I had to look it up, so... A firkin is just shy of nine gallons. So two firkins would almost be uh, 18. Pastor Sharp, I don't know if anybody else did, but three gallons would be almost there. 27. Somebody said 22. 27. So these are huge, cumbersome stone water pots. In fact, the difference between two or three firkins, 18 or 27 gallons, is because if they would keep the place, the, the stone water pots where they're at, you could put three firkins in it. But if you had to move it, it was so uncumbersome that you would have to slosh it out so two firkins would be enough. That's what culture tells us. But the servants did not put two firkins in, and they did not put three firkins in. But the scripture said they filled it to the brim. And you get the picture of water molecules holding together until it's brimming even above the top of these vessels. They went over the top in their response of obedience to a prophetic word. And Jesus tells them, draw out now. He's reached into the future and brought into now the miraculous and give to the governor of the feast. You know the story when the governor of the feast, he doesn't even know what has happened, but this is the best wine and even he is speaking past, present, future. But the scripture is clear that the servants knew where the miracle came from. This gives me hope. That if I'll just keep the spirit of the servant and operate in faith when the miraculous and the prophetic is happening, that wisdom will begin to come my way. That understanding concerning the miraculous will begin to happen for me. And I can begin to understand deep things and secret things of the spirit. Spirit of the servant. He reached in and brought into the present. 
let me tell you about the responsibility of the church. Elijah has just called fire down from heaven and proven before all the people that Jehovah is the one true God. And now he fulfills that principle of 2 Chronicles seven fourteen: Take the false prophets down the river and cut their heads off. Get rid of the evilness in your presentation because God is one to heal the land. And so when the heads of the false prophets, the idolatry, is taken off, then we find the prophet going with the servant to a place of intercession. Positioned with his head between his knees, praying. What are you doing, man of God? Because you've already heard it in the spiritual realm. You have already declared what is going to happen. God has already shown himself powerful. But the man of God has a responsibility to reach into the spiritual realm what he heard. And to pull that through travail or intercession into the physical realm. When God begins to speak to us of revival and harvest and miracles and signs and wonders, somebody's got to get a hold of that prophecy. you got to let it impregnate you until you're going to a place of travail. And in travail, you've got to reach into the spirit where that has already been spoken, where that has already happened. And you've got to birth it through intercession into the physical. And so the prophet begins to intercede. And after he has interceded, he turned to his servant and says, Go see if there's a change. You know the story well. And the servant goes, runs, and surveys. And today looks just like yesterday did. And he came back to the prophet and he said, there's no change in the economy. The stock markets are the same. There's no sign of any kind of blessing. And so the prophet prays again. He's not casual with his prophetic response. He is not haphazard with his faith and his response of obedience to the prophetic. Praise again. No story, no change. I'm not going to belabor the story. Praise the third time, no change. The fourth time, looks just like it did three days ago or three times ago. The fifth time, exactly the same. The sixth time, exactly the same. And you can imagine that as the servant goes the seventh time, he already sees what he has seen six times before. And he takes a quick glance because he's seen it. and he can't. But something catches his attention. And it's almost like he came back to the prophet and said, Now, don't get too excited, man of God. Because there's something, but it's, it's not much. He said, I see a sign. It's a cloud like to a man's hand. And the prophet, he doesn't need a big sign. He just needs a physical sign because he's reaching into the spiritual and pulling it into the physical. So when he sees the physical sign, he knows the abundance of rain is coming. And so he can leap up and outrun the chariots of Ahab because God has brought into the physical through intercession. Sometimes we walk away from a fulfilled healing when we see just one symptom and say, I don't know why I feel better, but I still have this disease and sickness. When that is a physical sign that God has begun a journey of healing upon you. This is how the prophetic works. It is not, it is not a prophetic utterance 
that without your proper response, it will just somehow happen. But the prophetic is given from the spiritual realm and spoken into the physical realm for somebody to take that into their spirit and let that seed grow and birth it with their intercession so that a physical representation can begin through the body of Christ. Anybody remember a prophecy? If you'll help us, 6, Acts chapter 2. There's a prophecy in Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Anybody ever heard it? I probably, you probably never read this. Acts 2 and verse 38. Then Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized. Every one of you. Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Verse 39 tells us how prophetic it is. For the promise is unto you and to your children to all that follow, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. But we have seen people come among us, hear this preached, and have truly repented and they've committed in baptism and it's been a little while before they receive the Holy Ghost. Why? There's nothing wrong with the prophecy. The prophecy is complete and able to do 100% of what is prophesied. But it has to do with the soil. Do you see the seed like an orange? That's the prophecy. Within that orange seed is the DNA for it to produce 100 oranges. But some trees only produce 60. It's not the seed some trees produce 30 oranges. It's not the seed. The seed has the ability to produce 100%. It's how that tree is cultivated, how it's taken care of. It's how that prophecy is received and handled that determines what you receive. So here's the prophecy. Repent. But it's how you go over the top with what this obedience is. Be baptized in Jesus' name. It's how your faith is demonstrated with this commitment. Some people don't receive the Holy Ghost immediately because the thought is, is that they can't forgive themselves. What an erroneous thought process because none of us have paid the price for our own forgiveness. We can't forgive ourselves. But in reality, what we're saying is that I'm not sure that God loves me enough to forgive me. Because of what I've done. So what happens is they hang around the church a little while. They're repenting. They're baptized in Jesus' name. And they hear pastor preaching about the love of God. They hear about grace does abound. Sin bound. Grace doth much more abound. They begin to hear over and over about how much God loves. And after a while they're like, man, I sure was rotten. But God loves me so much. And they began to believe in the love of God that He would forgive them of their sins. And then in that faith, they respond and receive the Holy Ghost. Some of us are so full of pride that we're scared to respond with faith. My, my stepdad, who's my dad most of my life, was stationed in Albuquerque, New Mexico years ago. And someone witnessed to him from the church in San Bernardino, California. So they are traveling hours every weekend from Albuquerque, New Mexico to San Bernardino, California. And every service, Dad has repented. He's been baptized in Jesus' name. And he comes down to the altar and he says, Oh God, I am so ready for this Holy Ghost. Give it to me. I want it right now. I want it more than anything. However, I don't want to jump up and down like that crazy one over there. And, and I don't want to flop around on the floor like I've seen some of these. You know, they used to call us holy rollers. And dad, 
hindered that prophecy. But he drove back and forth so many times till he was so sick and tired of driving back and forth and not getting the Holy Ghost. This Sunday night, he came to church and he said, okay, God, I don't care what you got to do to me. If you want me to jump, I'll jump, I'll roll, I'll do it. I have come for the Holy Ghost and I'm not leaving till I get it. And when his pride and the peer pressure was put out of the way, He said he came to some 20 minutes later and he was laying like a dead armadillo on the front pew with his hands and feet in the air speaking in other tongues as the Spirit of God gave the utterance. He said they told him he flopped like a fish out of water for 15 minutes across the altar. It's, it's not the seed. If I was to have you to stand, not yet, and I was to lead us through repentance, and lead us through a commitment to be baptized in Jesus' name and then speak a word of faith for the Holy Ghost to fall in this place. I'm going to tell you what I would see. I'd see people that went for it with all their heart and they repented and opened their life up and they committed to God. And when the Holy Ghost fell, they would speak in other tongues and the joy and the power of the Lord would come. And I would observe others that were a little more casual in their response to this prophecy and they would receive casual touch. And then I would see others that respond very little, and they would receive very little because it's not the prophecy. It's 100% in the DNA of the prophecy. It's the soil of men's heart. So, young men... Walk the city streets because there's hungry people even while the building program is going on. And it's not just going to be the down and outers. It's the bankers. If you will open up your eyes and see, there's a field that is wide and ready to harvest. And there's those on the planning committees. And there's those in the government positions. And there's those that are business owners. And there's those that are subcontractors. But it's how you respond to that. Not just your initial excitement, but how you obey what the Holy Ghost says to you tomorrow when he says, go speak a word to that contractor. Go talk to that individual. According to your faith is an interesting statement. And sometimes, Jesus used this all the time. We think it's a measure. I'm closing. We think it's a measure. Well, if you just have enough faith like the grain mustard seed or, or if you had a certain volume of faith, then, then the Lord is saying according to you. Sometimes uh, preachers even use it as cop-outs because we don't know if God's going to heal or not. We just say according to your faith. So then it's not my fault if you don't get healed. Sorry, I told you that. That's a, that's a secret. Don't tell nobody. That's not at all what is being said here. Jesus is saying, here's your healing, here's your miracle. Now, according to how do you respond to what has been given and spoken to you, that's what you'll receive. According to your faith. And your faith is how you obey the words that show your faith. That's why James said, faith without works dead. There is a liberty in the Holy Ghost. And I, I want you to know that I'm completely under the authority of pastor. And if any time he wants to come take the microphone, I know that you hadn't, he has no problem with that. You have no problem with that. And I have no problem with that. That will be in order. But there is a liberty for ministry to happen right now in the Holy Ghost. And if you would join me in that liberty with worship right now, I feel to speak to some individuals and let the Holy Ghost begin to move in the prophetic. <laughs>
Come on, CLC, give yourself to worship just for a few moments. You are my God that knows my past, my present, my future. In the name of the Lord, in the name of the Lord, in the name of the Lord. I've lost my handkerchief. But let me, let me tell you how this will work. I have found what stirs the gifting that God has placed in my life is worship. It's my worship, it's your worship that stirs the gift of God in me. It's, it's like Paul told his son in the gospel, Timothy, Timothy, there's anointing. You've got your grandmother's gift of faith, Lois and Eunice, your mothers, and, and I've laid hands and imparted that. But that faith has to be stirred, Timothy. You've got to find out what moves and what stirs that. It's like the prophet of old was just in his room, perhaps not even expecting any visitors when the king bangs on the door, prophesy, man of God. We've got to have a prophetic word right now. And the prophet said, well, let's get the minstrel player. Let's, let's play softly on the keyboard. Let's, let's get the guitar and began to worship. And when it began to worship, there was a stirring of the gift. And the prophet was able to prophesy. But this I've been instructed of the Holy Ghost is that never to minister to anybody unless I have prayed and hungered for God to give me a compassion and a love for you. I've asked God that when I see your face, my heart be melted with compassion and God-like love. I prayed for this city even as I have driven in today and asked God to save this city. I'm instructed the Holy Ghost to never treat anybody differently than what the Holy Ghost would treat me. So he doesn't try to intimidate me and bring fear or unduly embarrass me. But he's, he's always a gentleman, very compassionate, caring like a father to me. And so I will try my best to treat you in this way. If you would rather I did not speak what I see in the Holy Ghost out loud to you, that will be fine. We don't have to do that. That's in order. But if you will allow me, then there will be faith for you and for others around you as well. And this is what will flow in. We'll let our worship come up in volume. And then when I feel a liberty to speak to an individual, bring the volume down. Paul talked to the church at Corinth and said, when the gifts are operating, there shouldn't be confusion. And I want there to be understanding of what's being spoken. And then after something's being spoken, you can lift your worship again. I don't mind you lifting it up. That's the atmosphere right there. That's the atmosphere. Now bring your volume down. Bring your volume down. Bring your volume down. Let me minister. What's your name, girl? Marissa? There's a tremendous anointing upon you, even a generational anointing. Somebody has gone before and has dug out something with God. And you, with a spirit of Jacob, has attached itself. You want the birthright. You want that so much. That anointing is resting upon you. I see, I see foreign fields.
in your heart and in your spirit. Already there's intercession that God will begin to open up to you that will change and affect nations far beyond where you live. There will be doors that open. I do not know to what degree, but they will open. You will visit. And when you step on that soil, you will know there's an authority that God has given you there. You have found it in prayer and you have found it in faith. Let the generational, generational anointing be stirred in you right now. And know that it's not something for the future, it's for now. That God will use you even now. That your intercession become even more powerful. That your worship become even more deliverance breaking. That you have that power and authority that he has spoken. I know you want confirmation, young man, but it's not time. Let yourself be a servant of God. Outgrow the mistakes and the youth, and let there be something of the servant spirit within you. And when the time is right, the confirmation will come, the direction will be spoken, the word will be declared. Jesus' name. Would you lift in worship? There's a liberty here. Just let it flow. In the name of Jesus, can I speak to you, sir? Is this your wife? This is what I see, and I'm not real clear. I see sickness. It's come against your family, and I don't know to what degree. I feel like it has touched you, and it has touched others. And this is even something I feel like it's always been in the back of your head like it's like it's hereditary like it's genetics and the enemy has been tearing you apart saying yeah it's going to get you it's going to chase you down like like pharaoh's taskmaster it's going to chase you down but i've come to declare to you that you will live and not die and that healing virtue is upon you and that you will have authority through your word of faith to rebuke sickness not only from yourself but from your family and you'll find a new chapter and a new dimension operating the ministry within you somebody pray in the Holy Ghost and begin to believe that healing is flowing even man of faith don't doubt speak your faith declare your faith take that prophecy and run with it it's your word it's your prophecy don't be afraid don't be afraid don't be afraid don't be afraid There's a journey that you are on. You have come to church today seeking clarity and seeking direction. And God has you in this shadow journey where you can't see too far ahead of you. And you're not sure exactly which direction to go to the right or to the left. Don't turn to the right or to the left. Put one foot in front of the other. This shadow journey is not forever. And you shall come out into fresh light. Your direction will be seen day by day and step by step as God leads you (laughs) 
Man of God, I hear the prayers that you have prayed for lost loved ones. And how many times that you have told God, remember what you spoke to me, God, of that prophecy. Remember how you declared that revival would happen in my home and family. Remember how the backslider would come home. And God is reminded as you have spoken it. I declare that angels are moving even from this service to melt the hearts, to melt the hearts that are hardened and the chance of repentance and the chance for the love of God upon them is coming again. Pastor, when you reminded the church of the prophecy that was spoken, that this church would have revival in the middle of a building program, something leapt in my heart. I see the purpose of God wanting this church to double in the middle of this building program. In fact, I would declare to you that the snags that you're running into is God trying to delay the building process until your faith receives the prophetic for the harvest. He's wanting this church to move into their heart. Would you lift your voice and worship for just a moment? that that dream get brought off of that shelf again and know that God's promises are yea and amen. If you would resurrect that prophecy, it would be planted again in your spirit and it will arise to produce exactly what God has spoken it would. Yeah. Don't, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. In Jesus' name. Hey, sir, you're in the gray suit over here. Is okay if I speak to you? There are scars upon your spirit. And the calling that God spoke to you about is scarred. Because the battle came and it left wounds upon you. But this is a season and a time when God is reaching to the uttermost. And perhaps what might have been discarded before as a vessel of unworthiness, God is putting back on the wheel for His purpose. So expect this brokenness. Expect the hands that are nail scarred to press you. Expect others to not understand your Via Dolorosa. Expect that because it's the potter's wheel and he's not finished with your calling. He's not finished with your anointing. 
I rebuke the hands of the enemy from this home. Let trust come back in this home. Let faith arise in this home. Let a freshness of covenant love be in this home. And God perform his purpose. Just believe, just believe, just believe. Just believe, just believe. Just believe, just believe. Just believe, just believe. Would you like me to speak to you? First Lady, would you come? Church, would you, uh, would you give yourself while I speak to this sister for just a moment? If you'd worship with us, just create that atmosphere. This precious sister, the Holy Ghost is trying to let her know how much she is loved. And I have spoke to her and seen she has given me permission to speak about abuse that has happened to her. And how that has shaped and made cycles in her life. But there is a healing virtue of spirit. And there's a healing virtue in this place right now of the physical realm. There is nothing that my God cannot do. And he will show himself supernatural just to prove to you that he is our God. Let the love of God be upon you right now, sis. Receive the love of God. By the love of God, we declare healing virtue to flow. Healing upon the spirit. Healing upon the mind. Healing upon the body in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I feel to speak against heart disease. If you have a need of a healing, just lift your hand right now. I feel the pain in my neck right now. Let me understand. I need to speak against this heart disease. I need to speak against arteries that have become pained and blocked. I declare that a holy God is touching you even now. Healing virtue. Healing upon your heart. Healing upon your life in Jesus' name. It's, it's time for me to get out of the way speaking to individuals. God wants to do more than just one-on-one individuals. But he wants to do something in this place. But here's the key. I haven't come. Oftentimes when a man of God comes, he has a word of wisdom in his altar call. 
that God gives him a specific direction. If you'll follow that specific direction, that's a word of wisdom that will loose you. I, I don't have that, only this. That when God draws you to this altar and you begin to hear him speak to you again of a fresh prophetic utterance, whatever he tells you to do, ooh, go over the top. Now, I'm not asking you to go crazy and to jump up and eat the acoustical tile. I I, I'm not asking you to do anything, but whatever he says, do. Respond to it with all your faith. And then when you get up tomorrow, whatever he says, do. Go over the top in a response of faith. Because according to your faith, even so, let it be unto you. Would you stand all over the building? And those that want to receive a fresh prophetic utterance, just come on down the front. This is your altar call. I'm going to ask for our singers to come. Those that will work with us in worship. Just come gather. Just come gather. They're coming from all over the building, front, back. That's it, just gather in, just gather in, just gather in. They're still coming, pressing close, they're still coming. Cry out to him, sis. Touch her and tell him to cry out to him. Cry out to him, he hears you. That's it, they're still coming close, they're still coming close. I'm on prayer, prayer of faith for the prophetic to be loosed. And any prophecy that you have received in the past or anything that God is speaking to you prophetically right now, receive it. And whatsoever He tells you to do, you just begin to do that. If He's going to bless you in your finance, then respond in faith. If He's going to bless you in your body, then respond in faith. Ministry, you're loose right now. Begin to pray for people by the power of the name of Jesus Christ and by the authority of the Word of God. I loose the prophetic into the heart of your people. Receive that prophecy in the name of Jesus.